Hello, welcome to Look for the Light, a weekly recap and discussion show that will dive into each episode of HBO's television adaptation of the beloved video game series The Last of Us and explore the ways in which it expands upon the story of Joel and Ellie. This week, I'm joined by my best pal and co-host of The Dive In, Wesley Giffen. What's up, man? <laughs> that, that was the most intense intro I've ever gotten. I know, dude. It's so weird because I, we have such a, a, a intro already preset for The Dive In, and then I do episodes of this, and it's like I'm, I'm completely starting over. It's different. I know. It throws me off. You didn't even get to hit your I'm Wesley. You can do it. Didn't. No, it's okay. I won't do it this time. <laughs> it ruins it. Ruins it at this In case point. anyone forgot or didn't hear Hayden say it at the beginning, my name is indeed Wesley. I think we have the same listeners between shows, but in case we don't, I always want to tread carefully here. Yeah, true. But we're going to be getting into episode two of The Last of Us, titled Infected, directed by Neil Druckmann in his directorial debut outside of video games. Neil Druckmann is the guy who did Last of Us 1 and 2, and he actually directed this episode. It's his first time doing anything in TV and movies, and I think he did a, a pretty good job, despite some things that we'll get into as this mm-hmm. episode goes on. Um, what did you think of, the fir- of episode two of The Last of Us? Just yeah, some, like, uh, gen- general thoughts. Uh, well, I'll, I'll also say that, uh, so I watched the first episode, really loved it, um, thought it was an awesome start to the series, uh, really hit all the big points that I wanted to, felt like the game, felt like I was going right back into the world. Um, episode two, a bit lacking for me. Um, I found that it was uh, very similar to the game and had a lot of those uh aspects and themes of what to expect as the journey starts um but it just felt a bit lackluster to me um there were some like small things that i was like okay but why that makes no sense to me and i think it's mostly coming from the fact that i've played the game already like it's me having already played the game is definitely influencing the way i'm watching this show and i almost kind of wish i never played the games um but I still do appreciate having that knowledge and seeing it, seeing these uh, things come to life on the screen. It's still a very good show, and we're only two episodes in, so I'm excited to see where it goes. But yeah, episode two, definitely not as good as episode one for me. Mm-hmm. I will agree that I didn't find it as good as the first episode, but I thought there was still a lot to love in this episode. I, I can totally understand what you mean about this issue that people who love the game or have played the games are having with this TV show, which is like, it's a really good adaptation, so much so to the point where it's following all the same beats for the most part, aside from some minor deviations. So, like, for me, as a Last of Us super fan, I'm enjoying watching every single episode and seeing this play out. But when it follows it the exact same, I can see some people being like, yeah, but but I already played the game. Yeah, I think that's kind of where my problem's coming. Is like, I'm like, oh, I already played the game, so I already know this. So it's not like scary. I'm not, I don't fear for their lives when I know what happens afterwards, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I just have to try and get over that as I continue to watch it. Um, but it's definitely something I'm struggling with as I watch these episodes. It's, it leaves us in a tricky argument as people who have had, we've, we've done an episode on like the video game adaptation curse, right? And so often we talk about, do it right. Just tell the story how it's supposed to be told. And then you have, the last of us, which is telling the story, how it's supposed to be told. And we're like, yeah, but like, I know this story that that's the thing. Like it's a, it's definitely a hard balance. And I think that one of the biggest things these show writers are going to have trouble with is it's like, this show is meant for the people who have played last of us 
Um, and so they're really going to have to toe that line of how do we stick to the story but also keep it interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, because if you just give us the same stuff we've already seen, it's not as engaging as uh, having some twists and turns that we might not expect. Right. Well, so, they they do do some twists and turns that we might not expect in this episode. Um, I was a fan of them. We'll get into your thoughts on them, but... Let's start from the very beginning of this episode. This episode, much like the first, kicks off on another scene that allows us a unique perspective on like how Cordyceps and the outbreak is impacting the world itself. Uh, it reveals more about like the specifics of the threat. We meet a mycologist, someone who spends their entire life studying mushroom and fungi. Um, and she's brought in and she believes that she's being arrested or that she's in trouble for something. But she's actually being brought in to be asked her opinion on what their best course of action is regarding the outbreak. Uh, And in a pretty, like, harrowing scene, despite the fact that she's only on screen for, like, a couple minutes, uh, she says, there's no vaccine or cure. It's bombs. Start bombing. Bomb the city and everyone in it. Uh, What did you think of this scene? Because I think opening these episodes off on, like, these little glimpses into how Cordyceps is destroying the world aside from what, what we've seen in America and with Joel and Ellie... Um, I think it's really interesting. What did you make of the scene? Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. Really cool to see um, how it's affecting other places in the world other than just the United States. Yeah. Um, and she, as horrible as it sounds, she's very much right in the yeah. idea that you just got to bomb them. Like, there's no other option. Um, and so I think I think it was a really good use of just, like, realism and how I, like, in the first episode, we get that, uh, scene where they're on the TV show and the one guy's trying to be like her with the, the other guy's just like being very real with people. Um, so it, it it definitely brings that intensity right at the beginning of the episode and helps just kind of set the tone. Yeah. I think, you know, having someone go from like out for lunch to five minutes later, realizing that like them and everything they know is, is completely fucked uh, is like a very intense tonal change. And I think that this woman, her name is uh, Christine Hakim and she's, She's really good, actually, in this in this scene. And I was just like, damn, man, that sucks. Knowing that it's impossible to fight fungus. Like, you can, f- with with war and with infections, you can come with vaccines. But the one thing you can't really fight is just kind of, like, fungus reclaiming. You know, like, that's, it's scary. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, much like the first episode, this opening is, is very effective. Um, one thing that I picked up on, as the title implies, is that this episode's like really largely about the infected, whether it's Ellie's infection, uh, how the infection took over the world, um, Tess's infection at the ending of the episode, and then more and more details about the way Cordyceps kind of works. I think it's really smart to give us an episode that's really all about like the, the zombies and how they function in this universe. There's a lot of new lore that they add to Cordyceps, such as like the hive mind which is honestly something that I wish was in the game. I find it to be like really like a riveting idea. But like what did you make of kind of like having an episode that's primary function is to set up how the infected work on a deeper level? Uh yeah, I I think it's a good idea for the people who don't know because we know as people who've played the game, but the ones who haven't, they don't understand. And so it's important to kind of show that and teach that to them and I love the idea of the hive mind. Very cool. Makes mm-hmm. total sense. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would agree that it's just a really good way to just kind of set it up, um, and to show off some of the zombies. Cause we haven't really seen any of them yet of the infected. Yeah. 
just the runners at the very beginning of the infection and then kind of goes quiet in that second half of the first episode. So yeah, showing us, you know, more runners, but on top of that, the clickers um, is a really interesting or really good choice, I think. So we rejoin Joel, Ellie, and Tess as they continue their journey. Um, and most of this episode kind of plays out exactly how the video game does, where it's them go- leaving the QZ and they're headed to meet up with the Fireflies to drop Ellie off, and things go to shit along the way. Um, one thing that becomes apparent to me is that is like unique about telling the show is like the characters are given moments to be like human. When you're playing a video game, Nobody's going to, like, stop and eat a sandwich, and no one's going to have to, like, take a shit or something like that. I find it really interesting to have these quiet moments with these characters in between all the chaos. I think that's one of the perks of, like, adapting the show onto onto TV. What do you think are some of, like, the advantages of telling this story on TV as opposed to video games? Yeah, you definitely get more uh, human moments. You get more, like, you pick up on smaller things and little facial movements and stuff like that. Um and it's less of like you when you're playing the game you kind of get distracted by looking for little things or picking up resources stuff like that uh on tv it definitely just focuses you in on the story i i would say those are the advantages i think one disadvantage that it does have by putting it to screen is like those i personally when i was playing the game i enjoy exploring around i enjoy walking through towns and stuff but when it comes to the show, I find that all the walking around can kind of feel slow at times. Uh, like, for example, when they're just, like, walking across that bridge and talking about the different types of infected that they've encountered, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, okay, we get it, move on. They hear one scream and they all stop and that kind of thing. Um, I And, like... It's totally fair. It's a zombie apocalypse movie, so you're going to have a lot of walking around. I just hope that as we continue to go on, it's not just that all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Because in the game, that's very much what a lot of it is, is it's you just walking through these abandoned buildings and all these things and clearing out zombies. And so I I hope that they kind of stray away from that at times um, and they focus – they use the advantage of it being actors and being a TV show – and use that to uh, learn a bit more about the characters, really feel connected to them so that um, when something happens to them, you feel more emotion instead of just like being like, well, they are, they're dead or they got bitten or whatever. Who cares? You know? Yeah. And I I do think that they're going to do that as these episodes go on. I think that there will be an episode in the coming weeks. That's really just Joel and Ellie talking. And I think we need that episode. I, I feel like it's gonna be the next episode. Yeah. I think that that's the best opportunity to do it. The next episode also 80 minutes, much like the first one, which is really Whoa. interesting. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that's a needed episode in the story. But, you know, when you're adapting, like so much of the game is kind of this constant walking and talking. And there will be moments of that, but I think they're going to have to pace it out in an interesting way. Yeah. And one moment that I noticed that they kind of have done a little bit of adjusting to the pacing, pacing is... um. When they first start their journey, they go through the dilapidated towers in the video game. You actually cut through there. In this, you opt not to go that way, and they end up, they do end up at the hotel from the video game, but that doesn't show up until much later in their journey in the video game. It's actually not in this area. So they kind of swap out the dilapidated tower sequence, which is a big action moment of the game, for this a little bit more of a talky and then still an action moment. But 
you get that moment where Ellie is like checking into the hotel, which is a really fun moment that's ripped straight from the games. Um, couple of moments that are actually ripped straight from the games, much like the first episode in this, which I which I thought was pretty fun. I don't think I'm ever going to get tired of that, though. I think every time they do that, I'm going to be like, hey, I recognize this. <laughs> what do you think about... One thing that I noticed while watching this episode is that the set design for this show is is just next level. Like, bringing to life the stuff from the games in such a authentic way. They did that in the first episode, but here, the care to show the hotel the exact same way it is in the game with the water up to their knees and the moss growing everywhere. I thought it was really good. Do you think that the set design, like mirroring the game is like, as someone who's played it, do you find that as fun as I do? Uh, no, but I also don't love the games like you do. Like you've That's played fair. all these yeah, games yeah. like four times already. That's true. Um, and I haven't big played ga- the first fan. one for seven years. Like it's been a long time since I've touched the first one. And so I, I I definitely didn't notice that hotel, and I definitely didn't notice the, that they didn't go to the dilapidated tower. I didn't even mm-hmm. remember that. Um, so it, it's not definitely not the same for me. Um, I think the sets look good. One thing I will say is I find the backgrounds a little weird. Do you notice that? Uh, there was a, there was a couple shots I noticed that I've heard some talks online about people noticing that you know it looks a little green screen at times, and I can say that like yeah, I noticed it once or twice. I think the, what I see is it feels almost like it's 2D in a sense, that it's like a very flat background. Because, mm. yes, you have destroyed buildings and stuff, um, but it's just very much like in the first shot where they first enter, they first enter into like the more, um, as they're leaving that building after Ellie's woken up, they're entering into the more open area. I found the background of that looked really weird. Um, just because it looked very flat and are you talking about know. the specific shot where Joel kind of like climbs up on the hood of a car? Yeah. And you see like, there's like the building that's fallen over onto one building and like all that kind of in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I just, I, it just looked a little off to me. It's nothing big. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. Um, I can't really put my finger on it, but I was watching it. And I was like, that looks kind of fake. It's, um, uh, it's budget recoup after that crazy first episode where everything looks so real. So they're like, all right, yeah. we got to save some money on the second one before we get back into three. I guess so. I don't know. I do. I did notice it once or twice though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I would say that's probably my only little grievance with the, the visual effects is that some of the backgrounds don't look the greatest. Yeah. Um, and I, weirdly enough, I think it's because all of the real stuff looks so good. Like, mm. I I think that the, like, uh, practical effects for this show are off the hook. They're so yeah, they're good. remarkable. And I, I question why they don't use them more. Um, but, like, I find that the, the visualizations of these, like, destroyed buildings, uh, the greenery growing back into the populated, the once highly populated areas, like, it all looks so good. And it's so, stunning. If you have CGI that does not look as good or is like a little off, it's very noticeable. Like another thing I noticed was sometimes the zombies are real people and sometimes they're CGI. Um, And I wonder why that is when they have such great practical makeup already. Mm -hmm. But are you talking about for like the shot where it's like all of them outside? There's a shot for where it's all of them outside. Uh, and the shot where the one zombie like gets up and the other ones follow him, 
Like, he, the one that gets up, he's real, but the rest of them are CGI. And then this is getting a little further into the episode. When we have the two clickers. Um, there are moments where they're real, and there's moments where they're CGI. Right. They aren't real the entire time. And so I, I question the use of that, um, but who knows? It's not yeah. a big thing. I just wonder why they didn't stick with full practical uh, when they very much have shown that they can. Yeah, the, I mean, the practical is, is stunning. And that's kind of what I was getting at with, like, the hotel. Um, that's, like, a, a full set. They, they they clearly filmed that on, like, a soundstage because it looks just, like, spot on for the games, but it's just, like, a very vibrant set piece. Um, yeah. They even have this fun little detail that I loved about the games where there's a frog climbing across the piano in the games, and there's, like, a full dedicated shot to that frog climbing across the piano. I'm like, yo, that's my guy. I remember <laughs> him. Um, yeah, no, but anyways... Let's let's talk about the clickers a little bit. So we they're cutting through this museum, and uh, this is another set piece straight from the games that I thought was really fun to see. But we audibly get our first clicker, like we hear it, and they, everybody hushes up. Ellie doesn't fully really understand why they need to be so quiet, uh, and fans of the game know exactly what is ahead. But like new fans, I think are in for something pretty special with the sequence because, dude, that first clicker sequence is like really masterful in my opinion i was like this is like fantastic it's so tense it does such a good job like mirroring the feeling of having like no supplies to get the clickers away from you and kind of just being pinned in as they're like right next to you um and as you kind of mentioned like the practical effects and the prosthetics for the clickers are are fantastic like they look spot on um what did you make about the scene because i watched it and i was just like completely floored i was like this is so intense and they like they kind of perfectly got the feeling of encountering a clicker in the game i thought it was good um i don't i didn't feel the same way and i think it's because i've played the games i think this is i think this is going to be a consistent thing i'm going to mention while we do these episodes uh because i wasn't as scared because uh, i knew what was happening like i i mm. understand the, the mechanics already um and like some things were quite predictable like ellie making a noise and that being the reason why it all happens or like characters stepping on things and i'm like i saw that coming from a mile away because i know already the only way to get them to move and to interact with you is to make noise um but i thought it was a, a pretty good action scene overall it definitely had its tense moments uh i loved the moment where joel like makes a noise like pushes a statue over to make a noise to distract one and we mm -hmm. go back to the quiet before we get back to the action um i i will say my grievance with this scene is they like right before this when tess like climbs uh up that thing and is trying to find a way for them to get through uh le and joel have a moment to chat and joel mentions like that he has killed so many of these like zombies already um and that it's not new to him and then he struggles to get one um to kill this one clicker and i get it it's tv you can't have them mowing through them so easily you gotta show some struggle it totally makes sense um i just like as somebody who's played the games and knows i'm thinking in my head oh my goodness he's wasting so many bullets uh, he's got to conserve his bullets. He shot like eight of them into this clicker. Um, I'm also thinking things like, why is he not trying to stab them? Where's his knife? I'm sure he has a knife on him somewhere. Well, you got to have the shiv, and those only have two uses before they break. 
Very no, true. I'm just, I'm just playing. No, that's that's one. Of the, that was the other thing was that I was watching it with my roommate, and she was like, "You have to have the shiv, that kind of thing." So maybe it's something that'll come in later, whatever. Um, but they really struggle to just get these two clickers, and uh, fair. But if Ellie wasn't immune, two people would be down, mm. uh, and it would just be Joel left after this one interaction. So I think it's very intense. I think it, they did a really good job at. Uh, showing off these clickers to start off in the first place. Um, but as someone who has actively played the games, I think it's just a me thing where I'm like, I feel like they should be better at this. I could do this so easily playing the game, like all these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which brings me back to that point I was saying at the beginning where it's like, if you've played the games, you kind of understand. Um, and you're a li- I'm a little more nitpicky with these things, you know? So... And I, I think moments like this, too, are where, like, the show is really asking you to not compare to the games, which inevitably is going to be hard when you've played them. Yeah. But um, I think in stuff like this, with the choice of having, you know, like, we are going to encounter, you know, mild spoilers for anyone for journey, for the journey ahead of us, but there is a a bigger and badder infected type than clickers. But I think the clickers are the most common, so I think they were really trying to establish them as, like, look at how fucking rough one of these encountering your path can be you know like even though you know a lot of the times when i'm playing the game i'll just like take a crowbar and just beat a clicker to death with it i'm just like i'm not scared of you i'm just gonna kill you but i think to really establish that it's not like the games and that this needs to be taken far more seriously every time we encounter one of them i think it's very effective although i can understand exactly where you come from with that Mm -hmm. i think I love the little detail like you had mentioned where they knock over the glass and things go quiet and Joel's attempting to reload his gun because this is not an issue that you're ever going to encounter in the game because reloading is a mechanic of the game and it's not going to affect the clickers. But the fact that he's trying to just get those bullets in his gun with each one kind of sliding into the chamber, the clicker is like reacting to it. I thought it's such a fun detail and it really shows like what they can do when they're on TV and those little moments. There's also some really good dark comedy at the ending when Ellie gets bit and she's like, well, if it's going to be anybody, I was like, damn, yeah, dude, thank God that was, that was Ellie. But unfortunately, she's not alone. Um, Tess is also bitten in this struggle, but she re- keeps it quiet for a little bit and that'll come back into play later in the episode. I think there's, and as I kind of mentioned earlier in the episode, there's some really interesting details about how they've expanded the lore for Cordyceps. Um, it's actually stuff that I think would have made the games like really interesting had they been able to put this into the games, because I think the idea of how I've mentioned earlier in the episode, like a hive mind, um, and how that was kind of mentioned in the last episode, Tess explains to Ellie in a line of dialogue, the fungus grows under the ground, long fibers like wires, some of them stretching over a mile. You step on a patch of cordyceps in one place and you can wake a dozen infected from somewhere else. Now they know where you are. Now they come. You're not immune from being ripped apart. At the end of the episode, we see Joel shoot an infected and the ground kind of immediately comes up and wraps around the infected's hand. And it's so interesting to me. And I think that if this was a mechanic in the game where you had to be stealthy to avoid where you step, that stepping in the wrong place can almost act as an alarm clock for them and just send them running to you. I think that really ties into the themes of how everything, it's all like a living organism I loved that choice. What do you make of like the expanded lore for Cordyceps? Because really in the games, it's kind of like a very straightforward, like mushrooms have taken over people. Um, but I think to really expand on that idea is quite effective. I, I think it's actually 
in my the way I see it, it's given them a bit of an issue. Um, because now that we know that they're all connected in this sense, can you stealth kill anymore? If you kill one, do the others know immediately? Does this take away stealth killing as an effective way of killing these zombies? Um, mm. Which could be an issue, but also could be a bonus, because that means that they don't have to do as much killing in these things. Maybe they'll have more of, like, just Ellie and Joel escaping and not having to murder a whole... Like, I think that'll zombies, be the case. I think, yeah. probably what it'd be more leading to. I think in the games, it would essentially, effectively make stealth killing useless. Because you kill one, and then they all know you're there, so you might as well just go in with a bang, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like it's going to work in that way, in that regard, where instead of fighting the zombies, Joel and Ellie will be more sneaking around and less actually trying to kill them. Yeah, which is uh, a really effective way of... It's budgetary constraints, but it's also the fact that this this show isn't the game. And so much of the game in between the big story beats is sneaking around, stabbing zombies, and shooting zombies in the head, right? And they're going to try and downplay that. They're going to try and... Humans, I think, are going to be less common, and zombies are going to be less common of threats. So it's really going to be a lot of exploring and, and a downtime in between. Mm-hmm. But I think that this choice, I was just like, wow, this is really working for me. The idea that, like... It's all alive. It all hears everything. You're never really safe from the fact that like one wrong footstep can kind of send them running to your location. It's it's a nice added mythology piece. Um, let's talk a little bit about Tessa's death because this is a, a big moment for fans of the game and I think everybody was really curious to how they were going to adapt it. They make the choice to swap out Fedra guards. It's, it's originally Fedra guards that pull up on them and then Tess sacrifices herself trying to stop them. Uh, in this, it's it's now infected, which I think ties into the whole theme of setting up how scary the infected can be, especially in big cities, and it really ties into this whole episode. Um, that's a much more effective choice for me because it makes her sacrifice bigger. I think if it's some if it's just a couple dudes, like she's already gonna die. So I think having her go out in this kind of somewhat blaze of glory is is a really effective choice. Um, do you think getting rid of Tess this early is is the right move? Um, story-wise, yes, because that's how it happens in the game. Mm-hmm. I think she might have, like, a little bit more time, but that's because you spend so much time kind of crouching around and adventuring with yeah, her. Yeah, that's because it's a game. Um, but I would say that I think having her die so early is not great for her character. Um, because I feel like there's so much that we aren't getting, um... And to me, she kind of feels a little empty um, because we just kind of hear about uh, or you just kind of learn about her and Joel and like kind of the complicatedness of that relationship. Um, And we're just kind of learning who she is. And then she dies um, in a very unheroic way, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, Attempted heroism for sure, but attempted but failed. Um, in so many regards, which I want to get into in a minute here. Um, but yeah, I, I think story-wise, it makes sense. Uh, because it's now launching a Joel and Ellie solo mission for the third episode. Um, but I definitely think that her character is a bit snubbed in the show in general, I think. Um, instead of... in, I was reminded... My uh, roommate Sid reminded me of this, that um, in the game... Uh, 
Tess's fights Robert's men, and you got mm-hmm. you actually go in and fight Robert's men. But in this one, Tess doesn't get any of them. It's the fireflies that kill him. Yeah, that's actually um, I, it's it's mentioned as like my only issue with the pilot is that I just think taking away Robert's men from Joel and Tess it takes away kind of how brutal they can be. You're supposed to have that moment because it really shows that it's not just Joel, it's Tess and Joel. They're both equally as violent and they're both equally as capable. Um, And when you rob them of that moment and give that moment to Joel at the ending of the episode, episode one, um, it doesn't really give Tess her big moment. And she kind of gets it with this, with this ending, but I don't, it's not the same. Not at all. In my opinion, Um, Mm -hmm. for some reason, the writers decided to make her a character who doesn't fight. The only time she fights is when she puts that axe into the head of the clicker, and that's it. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time, she does nothing. And I'm so confused on why. I, um, I think it's a little bit just more like this is the their version of this world, where it's I think everyone kind of fights less. But, you know, it does take away from, from the character a little bit to not have yeah. her have this big moment. I agree. Yeah, it makes her seem a little less effective than she should be, um, mm-hmm. which is mildly upsetting. Yeah. I, I do think you get enough from her character between Joel and her. You see a lot of these really tender moments with Joel and her, and you get a, a clear glimpse at who they are to each other and what dynamic they have with each other. But I think in regards to her as her own. Um, and they said, I was, I was reading something, and they had said that they, they wrote material for Tess's backstory. They just didn't end up filming it because it, when it came around, it, it added too much weird pacing issues. But I think I would have been interested in seeing that, quite honestly. Yeah, same. Um, I don't know. I do find that she gets enough moments to work with in the fact that once she sees how real Ellie is, I think you can you can see how much hope she gets. And I think it's short-lived, but it does enough to, to set up where Joel's journey will go. I, yeah. I was a bit bothered by that, though, in the first episode. I would say it does just enough. Yeah, for Personally. sure. Um. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about her sacrifice in, in more details because mm-hmm. her plan is essentially Joel and Ellie need to get out of here. Um, she puts a bunch of gasoline all over the floor and a bunch of grenades that the Firefly members had had and she sprawls them out across the floor and she plans to just wait for them to all come in and then she's going to light a lighter and blow everything up after Joel and Ellie have left. Um, with Tess being infected already she's kind of losing control very, very rapidly of her body. And so that's, I was reading and that's kind of why she can't get that lighter is because she doesn't have any strength left or any control over her own body that she's struggling to, to actually get it in her last few moments of humanity. But something is added here that has proven to be pretty divisive amongst people online. I think it's a really interesting choice and it really fleshes out how interesting this hive mind is of, of cordyceps. But um, I briefly mentioned the idea of tendrils in the previous episode, and we get a lot of the tendrils in this episode. And essentially, as Tess is trying to to blow herself up, this one they're all running by her because she's almost a part of the hive hive mind at this point. She's kind of become one of the infected, and they're all passing by her. But one seems to notice her, and it approaches her. And in a scene that everyone is dubbing the kiss scene, despite the fact that I don't really know if it's a kiss. Um. It approaches her, and it, it the tendrils come out of its mouth, and it goes down Tess's throat as Tess is kind of, like, standing there and, like, letting it happen, partially because she's lost control, partially because she knows if she moves, it'll, like, rip her apart. Um, and, yeah, it's it's a very weird scene, and I think it's a very interesting, scary choice. It's very, um, 
body horror-esque to have these tendrils kind of climbing down her throat and really speeding up the infection is how I've seen it described online. What do you think of this choice? Because the internet's reacting pretty divisively to it. You've already mentioned to me off air that it's yeah. maybe not your favorite choice, but I am in the opposite boat of Hayden. I think it's stupid. Um, and here's why. Uh, because A, they're zombies. And literally every other time we've seen one of them attack anyone, regardless of how infected or not they are, they tear them apart. Like, they eat their flesh. That's how this kind of works. Well, um, less so eating their flesh and more so, like, feeding off of them in this version of the show. Because the, the tendrils add this new thing where they're, like, kind of sucking through those. It's, it's very weird. Yes, they're still eating their flesh, though. Yes, yeah, you're right. Um, so it's, it's weird to see a zombie go in for the kiss um, very consciously and very aware. Um, I understand it might be a faster way for the cordyceps to attach to her brain or whatever. Um, I just mm-hmm. think it's weird um, and unnecessary. I think you could have gotten a way more emotional death if you watched her get ripped apart. Um, I think it would have made the intensity of the zombies and the fear that no one is safe from getting ripped apart and killed, like previously mentioned in this episode, way higher. Um, because would, I would argue that this is worse than getting ripped apart, though, which I think is what makes it scarier. I would disagree uh, because she you'd dies. Rather have, you'd rather have it kissing on you and, and sliding those tendrils down and, and, and infecting you through your mouth? I, no, I'm saying that uh, I would rather be ripped apart. Because she is getting infected and still semi-conscious and then lights herself on fire and burns to death. Mm-hmm. Versus getting torn apart in seconds by a couple of zombies, you know? Yeah. Um, that's me saying how I want to die. Please tear me apart, zombies. Um, <laughs> if, if it was to uh, yeah, it does happen that way. Um, so I just think it's weird. And I also, um, she's holding an AK-47, doesn't shoot a single zombie with it. She's trying to light the 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 lighter, and you were saying that like it's because she's weak or whatever. But that is a like a Zippo lighter, which means all you have to do is spin the thing. the mm-hmm. The fuel is already in there, and she's clearly making sparks many times. She could have very easily just put it to the ground and made the spark on the ground. There's like seven grenades on the floor that she could have also very easily ripped uh, well, pin out of and thrown. In that case, I think that's where she gets ripped apart, is, is when she moves. Um, but she's going to die anyway, so who cares? Yeah, fair enough. But I, um, yeah, I was reading something about how this is essentially the hive mind plugging in. It's essentially like if it was like, like she's become a part of their network, but she's not like active in it yet. And so essentially by doing that, it's like um, it's speeding up the process. It's immediately causing her to be fully overcome by cordyceps but i think too the reason yeah the reason she's unable to get to go for a gun to go for a grenade to do anything other than flick that lighter is because she's actually lost like all all control of her body like all her motor functions are pretty much shut off at that point aside from like one brief part of her humanity that's still able to to flick that lighter one last time that being said um there is lots of grenades right next to her, so I, I can see the argument. There are so many other flammable things and other ways she could have done it. I personally would have just liked to see a more epic way of her going out. Um, yeah. Because so far, 
this is one of the first characters we've met. Um, for those people who have played the games, we know she's going to die. And I think the way she goes out fighting the Fedra agents is way cooler because you hear the actual struggle. In this one, she just lets it happen. Um, mm. And so I would have liked to see a bit more resistance, you know? Um, yeah. A bit more, I am fighting for this now because I believe that Ellie might actually be immune. And so let me fight with everything I have left in me. Um, instead of, I will light this lighter. I'm. It's going to happen. Just give me a second. It'll happen. You know? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and that's just, I think that's a personal thing. But It, it I, definitely is, yeah. Cause I, like, I would have rather her, I don't know, go out a little bit more epically. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, I'm trying, you know, I, I'm going to be talking about this episode by episode, so I, I have zero intentions of talking about Last of Us 2's narrative or anything going forward. But I think, I think setting up in this very, Last of Us is a very bleak story. And I think setting up that, you know, a lot of the time these characters don't go out in epic ways or, or in heroic ways, I think is an important thing and an important juxtaposition to, to TV shows like The Walking Dead, which is so often like everyone gets their moment of glory. And I think almost robbing Tess of that is like a it's very bitter. It, it puts a weird taste in your mouth, but I think it's I did find it effective to. um and I think what I love about The Last of Us is how it's not just regular zombies. And so I think to add creepy kind of Lovecraftian body horror stuff is like an interesting choice that's really paying off for me. But for fans of the game, it's a, it's an interesting subversion and it's not going to work for everyone. Hey, totally fair. If it works for you, it works for you. Didn't really work for me, but that's a personal thing. We'll see where they go with it too. Because I mean like um, bloaters are a type of infected we'll meet. And without spores in this series, I really wonder how they'll function because their whole thing is like spores. I They... Aren't there going to be spores? No. That's that's what the tendrils are kind of subbing in for. They've talked about how spores are completely absent because it would require audiences suspension of belief because really spores could be anywhere and they'd be breathing in them at any time. It's They wanted to have something visual that they needed to avoid rather than air particles that could potentially be dangerous. And on top of that, Pedro Pascal wears a mask all the time in the Mandalorian. And I think probably specifically requested to have his face visible in this entire series. Sure. He's just like, I don't want to be wearing that gas mask for six episodes of this runtime. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that choice plays out. But yeah, this episode ends with Joel and Ellie walking away from the burning remains of where Tessa sacrificed herself and, uh, Ellie stopping in shock and terror to look back. And Joel kind of like immediately just like, if you follow, you follow, I'm fucking out of here. A little detail that I absolutely love and that's really paying off for me as a fan of the games is Allowed to be Happy, which is one of my favorite uh, instrumentals from Last of Us. It's in Last of Us Part 2, not Last of Us Part 1. And it's a fantastic instrumental. And it plays here. And I was just like, it's just a little thing, but I was just like, these Easter eggs, man. That's just a really nice little thing for for fans who who know where the story will go and who who are familiar with that music. I just thought it was a really good choice. What there's one scene I wanted to talk about that I kind of briefly just skimmed right over, which is like the scene with Joel and Ellie where it's the the moment where they're staring off into the sunset and he says, Was it or not the sunset, but the sunrise? And he says, Was it everything you hoped for? And she says, Jury's still out, but man, you can't deny that view. There's these little moments between Joel and Ellie, the one that you mentioned with Joel and Ellie sitting there as Tess is searching for a way to get them through. Uh, where you can see the bond between Joel and Ellie starting. And then there's that moment too. 
I think the detail of having that they keep from the game of having Joel look at his watch while they're staring off there mm-hmm. is um is such an impactful little detail. And I think that having these actors, there are moments where I'm just like, these actors are really doing their thing with these characters. What do you make of kind of those moments and letting those actors kind of expand on them in their own way? Did you think that Pedro kind of effectively creates his own version of that scene? Yeah, I think Pedro Pascal is amazing. And I think he's doing mm-hmm. a really good job as Joel. I find Ellie mildly annoying, but that's because I know Ellie way better as the Ellie from The Last of Us 2, where she's way more used to everything and is much more coming of her own uh, person. Um, And so it's a little thing I have to get over and just remember that it's not the the Ellie I know as recently. Mm -hmm. This is very young Ellie. So I think those moments are are good, and I think that we'll definitely see more of them in the next episode, as it's just Joel and Ellie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think the other thing too is like Ellie's character, uh, something I I hope that they push more, um, that I find that they aren't pushing enough, is the idea that Ellie's character really just wants to be taken seriously, um, as an adult, and she just isn't because she's not one. Um, and it's, it's like a subtle thing that they aren't really pushing. Um, and I think that they could definitely make it so that like the reason why she keeps messing up so much is because she's like making those mistakes. That's who she is. Um, she's a kid and she's trying to push farther so that, um, she can be taken seriously. Uh, but it just leads to her messing things up most of the time. Mm-hmm. But I hope that they do push that more because to me, I'm seeing it more as like she's trying to be um, like snarky in this apocalyptic situation and it's just coming off as like annoying to me. And I think it's because Joel is also annoyed with her. And so I'm like, yeah, she's annoying. Right, Joel? Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, fair. I, I will also say too, that is very much the character fr- of Ellie throughout the first few hours of the game, right? Exactly. And I saw something interesting online, which is like when you're playing the game, there's so many other things happening and you're so immersed in like looking around and really exploring and looting that a lot of the annoying dialogue that is definitely there in the game kind of just gets brushed under the rug because you're so focused on other things. But with a TV show, you're just listening. That's really all you're doing is listening and watching. And so like those annoying moments are slightly a little bit more agitating because of the fact that you have no control over them. Yeah, which is, I think, an interesting, you know, discussion to be had about the shift from video game to to TV. But haters be damned because Bella Ramsey is like she's playing Ellie perfectly. Hey, even I'm if, not even I'm not character. saying. I'm no, not I know saying you're not. Bad. I'm no, no, saying of course that, not. Uh, I I just forgot what Ellie was like in the first game. Right. I what I meant by the haters be damned comment is just like the people who who are acting like Bella Ramsey is a bad Ellie because I'm just like. Oh man, there's moments where you can like shut your eyes and it's like it, it actually sounds pretty like spot on. Like she's got that snark and that like you kind of said, this kid who wants to be an adult, you know, she doesn't want to be the only kid in the room. She's like I didn't fucking ask to be be in this situation. And I think that Bella Ramsey is really nailing it. I don't, I won't continue to say that in every episode because I think I'll be tempted to, but yeah, no, I just think that the cast is it's pitch perfect casting so far for me. It's really fantastic. Do you have any um other thoughts on on this episode of Last of Us? Anything final that you want to wrap up on? Uh, not really. I just, what would you? Uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. I would rate this episode like if the first one, in my opinion, was a five out of five. 
the second one would be like a three and a half or a four. Mm-hmm. It definitely wasn't the same. It definitely wasn't as good, uh, but still a good episode. Uh, still enjoyed it. Just had a couple minor issues with it. Yeah, fair enough. For me, it's a solid four-star episode for sure. It's a little bit... It's not as good as the first, but that first one is just top-tier television. Really great stuff. Awesome. Well, we're going to be doing this every week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, kind of whenever the episode comes out and there's a chance to talk about it. But... Wesley, would you like to do the outro for me since since you're here? Not the look for the light outro, the diving outro. Oh, the, I I like literally looked at Hayden like I don't know this outro. What are you talking about? No, no. Um, I'll, I'll hit you with the outro. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you can find other episodes that aren't just about this TV show, uh, about all the other movies we talk about on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast, and this that's where you can also find these episodes. Uh, and you can check us out on Instagram as well at the Dive In Movie Cast and our individual Instagrams. I'm at Wesley Giffen. I am at Hayden Kutras, and it is the same name on our letterboxed. And until next time, when lost in the dark, look for the light.